So one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. Now, I actually remember seeing this movie for the very first time. It was, I saw it in theaters, and it was uh, me, my dad, and my twin brother. And the movie had been out for a while, so it wasn't in like the, one of the big ones, but rather it was in like one of those like small uh, theaters. It's kind of like you have to walk all the way down the aisle, you know what I mean? Like number 20, one of those. And we're, we're in there, and basically the whole theater is just about empty, and so it's really just the three of us. And... And I remember we were kind of excited about the movie, my brother and I, because we had heard about it and we knew that there was a bunch of action and, and at the time we were really kind of into those Hollywood action flicks. So, so we were gearing up for it. We are getting really excited. Oh man, this is going to be a really cool movie to watch. Well, as we start to watch the movie, um, the opening scene is, is D-Day, June 6, 1944, with the invasion of Normandy, uh, specifically there on Omaha Beach. And, and I got to say that we were looking forward to the action because we had just seen movies like Terminator, you know, where these, just these really smooth, slick, cool action scenes. And then we actually watch the scene of warfare and our stomach turns. And it's not exactly the glamorous kind of action flick that we thought it was going to be. In fact, uh, you know, it, it was, it was uh, they were trying to make it lifelike. They were trying to make it feel real. And so even the way that they shot the movie, they shot it at a higher frame rate. So it doesn't have the smooth cinematic feel to it, but rather it has this, this jarring kind of uh, unsettling lifelike feel to it. And so, so we're watching this, this action scene and we're just thinking like, Wow, this is this is real. This is this is intense. And and then what we notice is, it as soon as the the battle kind of settles down, then they start to zoom in on some of these fallen soldiers. And so one of the soldiers that it that they zoom in on has a backpack, and his last name is Ryan. And then you see another fallen soldier, and they zoom in, and his backpack last name of Ryan. And then they go to a third fallen soldier with the backpack, last name of Ryan. Three brothers, same battle, they had all died. They had fought for our country, they had served, and they had sacrificed in this way. In fact, um, this is loosely based upon a true story about three brothers who had died together at Omaha Beach. And in fact, from what I understand, now there's even a military policy that does not allow siblings to fight in the same battle just because of this kind of devastation. So then the next scene, it shows the mother of these three boys, and she's doing dishes at her home in Iowa. And so it's the cornfields uh, that you can see through the window, and she's doing her dishes, and then you start to see this car. And you gotta imagine that being in the middle of nowhere, uh, not a lot of traffic comes through. So, so here comes this car, and it's kind of going back and forth the way the road is through the corn. And then as the car gets closer, you start to notice that it has the army emblem on the, on the car. And, and now the mother, she's fearing for the worst. Uh, she stops doing dishes, and she then decides to walk towards the door. And, and then you see the car pull up, and, and then you see um, a priest gets out with the clerical collar and everything. And, and then some soldiers step out and they're holding not just one, but three American flags in the triangle case. And this mother just loses it. She, she cannot bear what's happened. And so she, she just ends up fainting just on the ground there. 
And for me, I think that this is a picture, this is a depiction of someone who is just broken and desperate and would give anything, anything in the world for it to be different than what the current situation is. So my question for you this morning is this. Have, have you ever felt like that to some degree? Have you ever felt broken? Have you ever felt desperate, wanting things to change? See, life hurts. And, and all of us in this room have been scarred physically, but also emotionally. And what I mean by that is that, that we all have these hurts in our lives. We all have these, these scars in our lives, and, and they can come from very different sources. They can come because sometimes we hurt ourselves. There are times that, that we make mistakes and that we pay the consequences for them. Um, and then there are times when other people will hurt us. Either um, it could be something as simple, and I put simple in quotes here, as just a, a phrase that they say that, that just really stings. You know, uh, it's something that just kind of slips out, a Freudian slip almost, and it just, it just hurts. It pierces right to the heart. And then we carry that baggage with us for years and years and years. Or maybe they really have intentionally just woken up that morning and, and wanted to go out of their way to hurt us. But there's, there's different things in our lives that, that have caused pain in our lives, that have caused this hurt. And so the thing is that, that all of us in this room, uh, we all have some sort of emotional scar, some sort of um, pain in our lives that, that hurts. You see, the thing is that in the Bible, when Jesus encounters people, whenever he meets people, he meets people like this woman in Saving Private Ryan. He meets people who are often just at their end of the rope, and they've tried everything, and, and they're just desperate, and they're just on their knees, and they're crying out to him. Uh, sometimes I think it's easy whenever we read the Bible just to gloss over. We read it, we skim it, we don't actually uh, picture what it's got to be like to actually be there. Um, I know sometimes in our English translations it sounds so proper and formal, but just to imagine being there, uh, in this story you have a guy who's probably screaming, a guy who's, who's crying out, all right? And this is the, and Jesus meets these kinds of people. And the cool thing is that he, he notices them, and then he has compassion on them, and he actually takes time out to stop. So that's who we meet here in John 5. We meet this paralyzed man, now, he, had, he was paralyzed, and he was seeking healing in this pool that they had. It was called the Pool of Bethesda. And the legend of it, the, the idea of it, was that this pool brought healing. The waters in the pool brought healing, but not all the time, only whenever the pool waters were stirred. And so it was a natural spring, and so there were times when the waters would get stirred, and, and then the first person to jump into the pool wins. It's, it's some sort of game, it's some sort of race, it's on. As soon as the waters are stirring, the first person in uh, will get healed. And that was, that was just what people believed back then. Uh, it went back even before this time, even before Jesus' day, when uh, the Romans, uh, they had believed that that, um, that this pool brought healing. And so they actually um, named this pool after some of their Roman gods and goddesses of healing. And so this had been centuries-long understanding that, that this pool, these waters here, bring healing. Now, the thing is, do these waters actually bring healing? No, no, they don't. 
But it was, it was a legend. It was a myth back then. And we could be as 21st century people. We live in the scientific age. We can look at that and think to ourselves, she's how superstitious are these people? How foolish are these people to actually think that a pool that waters is actually going to bring healing upon someone? How foolish, how superstitious are they? And we can separate ourselves from, from those uh, ignorant people because we are so smart. We can separate ourselves. And even though that's the temptation, I'm actually going to say this. I'm going to say that we're just like them. That, that we... That we um, have our own false sources of healing. We have our own false hopes. And so that brings us to our first point here. So number one, that we look in the wrong places for healing. From John 5, it says, Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades, so five entrances to this pool. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So there's all different types of people here, and they're all gathered around where? Around this pool. But here's kind of a, a question for you today, is, is where do you go for healing? Where is your pool? What does your pool look like? And does it even involve God? You see, we live in this self-help culture today. If you were to go to Barnes & Noble's, or Amazon, and you were to see in the book section some of those popular books, they're all going to be around self-help. It's this idea that just through a few new age kind of spiritual tools that we can fix ourselves. And we can do it without God. We can, we can just put our chin up and we can fix ourselves. And we live in that kind of a culture. We live in a culture where we have this feel-good spirituality from Oprah. There's this new age kind of inclusive spirituality. Or, or maybe you do this whenever you have a hurt. Maybe you just try to numb yourself. You know what I mean? Maybe you just try to pacify your pain. And so we look for a lot of sources just to get us through the day or just to pacify ourselves so we don't actually have to address these things. What is your pull? A few months ago, I had the pleasure of going to see the rock band U2. And I got to say, uh, before I was leaving, um, Christina, our five-year-old, asked, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to go see one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And I was so excited about it. Um, after all, um, so much of my childhood, I grew up listening to U2. And, and I'm a huge fan of these guys. Uh, the, so much of my guitar playing is influenced uh, from these guys, especially the guitarist. His name is The Edge which I find kind of ironic uh, because, and then his last name is Dave Evans, so not exactly sure where he got the edge from, but he's been the edge longer than I have, so I'll let him, I'll let him do it. And also he's way better at guitar than I am, so I'll let him have the, the name The Edge. So, um, you know, I feel like so much of my childhood is owed to these guys. I mean, after all, if they didn't raise me, who would have? So I, I was really dedicated to these guys, really excited, first time ever to go see them. And in the show itself, I gotta say, if ever you get a chance to go see U2, you should. Uh, because it's such a, such a mismatched 
show. Like there's so many things going on that I just found so interesting. So first of all, you get the party scene. So you get the guy in front of me uh, who's had five beer and then by a sixth one sloshing it around. It's like, you know, uh, danger you will get wet if you're in these seats, okay? Uh, so there's, there's that guy and he's just screaming out, come on, play your hits, play... You know, play uh, Beautiful Day, come on, play Pride. So you got that guy doing his thing over there, the, the party guy. Um, but then also you have, and, and they do those hits, and they got the lights and everything. Um, but then you have Bono, and, and every now and again he starts uh, addressing some, some deeply uh, social justice issues about poverty and about warfare and about peace and everything. Uh, some, some very deep themes that were kind of embedded uh, throughout their music and throughout their, their videos and their presentation and everything everything. And Bono himself is kind of a, an interesting person. At certain points in his life, he's identified himself as a Christian. Other uh, points, he has not identified himself as a Christian. Um, he, he sang the song about a loved one who had passed, and uh, he was on his knees um, reciting Psalm 23 in the King James. I mean, it was just a very interesting show. And, and then for their encore, they uh, close with Where the Streets Have No Names, which Bono wrote when he was on a mission trip in Africa in the 80s, and he uses this to talk about AIDS. And so he talks about how, um, and, and I love this phrase, he said that there's something as so small, microscopic as AIDS, has the ability to wreak havoc and so much destruction in our world. And I thought that was a very interesting and so he goes on to talk about AIDS and about how uh, we need to do something about it. So then he says this. He says, he says, and you know what? Africa needs our prayers. And, and I got to say, I was blown away. I thought, wow, you know, this is in front of all these people, probably uh, half of them or more don't go to church. They don't believe in God. And, and people are cheering. They're cheering them on. Yeah, they need our prayer. And then he said this. Then he said, and even if you don't believe in prayer, then just simply send your thoughts and your well wishes to Africa. And everyone cheered even louder. And I just, you know, as a Christian, I'm just standing here going, what? What is he talking about? Does he really believe that? Does he really believe that here we are in Phoenix in an air-conditioned building at this concert, overpaying for food, overpaying for our tickets, and, and here all we have to do is if we, just, if we want to fix uh, the AIDS crisis in Africa, all we have to do is simply send our thoughts or send our well wishes over there, and that's going to solve all the world's problems. Not only is that naive, I think that's incredibly narcissistic, that we ourselves, we have the ability to do it by just, just thinking well of them. Guys, this is the pool of Bethesda in 2015. It certainly is. It's this, this false hope, this false source of healing that, that all we have to do is we just have to like uh, something on Facebook, like an organization, and we're bringing about change, that we're bringing hope to people, we're bringing healing to people, just by doing one simple thing that's meaningless in the comfort of our air-conditioned buildings in Phoenix, Arizona. And we think that this is going to solve the world's problems. That's the pool of Bethesda. But, but where do you go when you're hurt? What is your pool? You see... With these physical and emotional scars, we also have regrets. There are things that we've done that, that are mistakes, and they just weigh on us. And we think back, whether it was yesterday or whether it was 30 years ago, we can just think back and, just, and still have that pain, or we can have that regret. 
And, and I guess I want to just clarify this real quick, is that, that know that you're not alone. Uh, sometimes people think that they don't want to talk about these things or deal with these things because they think that they'll be like the odd person out. Um, you might actually be the odd person out for dealing with it, but you're not the odd person out for having these scars or for having this emotional baggage. Uh, see, in Jesus' day, even around this pool, there wasn't just this paralyzed guy, but rather that there were tons of people around the pool. There were the blind, there were the lame, there were the paralyzed, it says from John 5. There were just a lot of people around this, so you're not alone. Now, with our hurts, um, people do different things. So, so the first option, which is my personal favorite, is denial. And that's simply just to stuff it down, and it's to not deal with it. Uh, that's one of my personal favorites. Um, another favorite that I have, and you know, this is again for myself here, but I think it applies to some of you as well, is that uh, we try to just fix it ourselves. That we just try to do it without God. So we try to fix ourselves. And then the other way is that we just uh, lash out in anger. And so we try to take down people, either through uh, physical violence or through our, our words. We just try to take down people, and it feels good to take down people. Uh, this phrase I heard a while ago, I agree with. It says, this, it says, hurt people hurt people. And, and I think that's true. And so there's, there's various avenues that we can deal with this in an unhelpful way. But but then there's ways that we can actually deal with it and we can actually allow God to heal us. Now, imagine if you're in this story. Imagine if you're in John 5 here and Jesus were to come up to you and were to want to heal you, which leads us to our second point. Jesus asks us, just like he did the paralyzed man, if we really want to be healed. From our story, when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, see, what's great about this is that Jesus, uh, he was like a laser focus on his mission. Whenever he started his ministry, every single thing he did was, was laser-pointed uh, for his ministry, which included traveling from one town to another town. It included uh, preaching and, and telling people about this, this kingdom of God and about heaven and everything. Um, but the thing is that he takes time to pause and to notice people and have compassion on them and to heal them. And so what we learn from there is that it's not, it's not like he's, he's taking a time out from his mission, but rather this is part of his mission, that this is part of what he came to do. It was laser-focused. And so he's going to take time here. He's going to actually care for these people and actually heal them. Now, if we notice this question, do you want to be healed? I mean, come on. this guy has been here for 38 years. He's tried to jump in, but he's always gotten second at best. He's never actually gotten first to jump in. This question, do you want to be healed, I think has got to be one of the, the duh kind of questions in the Bible, right? Well, duh, of course he wants to be healed. But I think, though, this is actually a pretty genuine question. I think that Jesus is actually asking him. And, and I, the way I kind of see it is, is almost this, like, like, do you really want to be healed? After all, this guy had been here for 38 years, even though it was uncomfortable to be lying on his side for 38 years. It, in some ways, after 38 years, it becomes comfortable, right? And, and sin has a way of doing this in our lives. Sin has a way of just making us comfortable and, and keeping us 
in prison and keeping us locked in. And, and, and it's, all he, it's what he knows. It's 38 years. This is what he knows. And so by Jesus asking this question, he, he's, he's really wanting to know, are you going to continue trying this thing? Or, or do you really want to be healed? And I think this is also important because uh, part of the question is this. It's, it's, it's are you going to really keep trying this pool or are you going to shift your trust from the pool to Jesus? Are you, are you able to let go of this pool? Are you, are you able to, to give this up and, and turn your focus, turn your trust to one that can, that can heal? And you see, we talk about this question, do you really want to be healed? And, and you ask this question to anyone who struggled with sin in their life. Do you really want to be healed? See, after all, there's a reason that we've allowed sin to enter into our lives. It, we become comfortable, we become blinded. Ask this question, do you really want to be healed? Ask this to an alcoholic or to a porn addict, to someone who's an overeater, rageaholic, greedy, shopaholic, you name it. Do you really want to be healed? Or do you just want to say you want to change, but you really, part of you really likes being comfortable, likes being imprisoned by the sin? Are you ready to let go? Or do you want sin to continue to linger in your life, which really means to consume your life? I know some people that they say they've tried to give up something. They've tried to change, but really when I talk with them, they just tried to change by themselves. See, they were going to their pool, their own pool of Bethesda here. And Jesus is asking this question to us in this room this morning. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to get better? Now this man here, he answers yes. He says, yes, I do. And it's such a bold statement. And he was ready to give up the pool. He was ready to shift his focus from the pool to Jesus. And, and the question is, are you? Are you ready to give up your pool? The, your places of false hope, of healing. Are you ready to give up those? And are you ready to turn to Jesus? And I think this leads us to our third point here, which is this, that Jesus can heal instantly, even without our false sources. From our story, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. See, Jesus was showing where the true power comes from. It does not come from the pool. Rather, it comes from him. And if we take a look at our false places of healing, our pools, and we can know that Jesus can heal us even without those things, even without our pulls, even without our false sources. See, when we try to find healing apart from God, essentially here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, we don't need you. And, and we try to become and we pretend to become God of our own lives, Lord of our own lives, rather than allowing God to be God. And also, after reading over this story closely a few times, I, I couldn't help but get this sense of, of immediacy, this, this instantly, the snap of a fingers, healing that happens here. See, what this guy here, he, remember, uh, pool guy, poolside guy here, has been here for 38 years. And so he knows time. He knows the process of healing. And, and for those who jumped in first, we're not always, according to the legends, we're not always healed instantly, uh, but rather that maybe it took time. 
And so what Jesus does is right there, as soon as he says, yes, I want to be healed, right there, Jesus heals him. It's this, it's this instantly, this immediacy that happens that's so glorious. See, Jesus heals not just to heal. He doesn't want to just come and heal this guy. But rather, he does it for a purpose. And the purpose is, uh, for all of his miracles is that it produces faith. And so, so look at this. So we have the faith of this man. We can look at this guy, uh, pool guy, poolside guy here. Uh, we actually don't know his name, but uh, poolside guy, he, he experiences a transformation. He experiences a, a physical transformation for sure. But, but later, whenever he has a second encounter with Jesus, Jesus tells him to go and sin no more. So, so it is this physical healing, but also what Jesus is really after, what he's really addressing here as well, is he's addressing this area of sin in his life. And so, so we have this transformation, and not just to this, this guy, but, but also to the crowd. Could you imagine being there? And, and it was widely accepted in pop culture at the time that this pool brings healing. And you're standing next to the pool that brings healing, and Jesus heals this guy, Instantly, not with the pool, but rather with just Jesus. So you got to imagine the crowd had faith in Jesus now. And then even us today. See, what's so cool about this guy, even though we don't know his name, is that this story has a legacy. The story has been recorded in the Bible and preserved and passed down for generations. 2,000 years later, that we get to read this story today, and then we get to learn about Jesus through this that these miracles did not just heal him as a temporary benefit for him being able to walk, but rather that it was for a purpose, that it produced faith, it brought faith. And when we talk about this story that God has created here through this man, it leads us to our fourth point, is that count on God to use your story. See, in the last verse of the section, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. See, Jesus' miracle, it created a transformation. And this guy, he wanted others to know about it. When people asked, at first he didn't know who it was. He just simply said, a man healed me. And then later, he meets Jesus a second time and gets his name. And now when people ask, he says, it was Jesus who healed him. He must have been so excited. 38 years, and just instantly, just like that, experiences healing See, the thing is that God did not cripple this man. God did not go out of his way to do this. But what he did was he used this man's story, and he also used this man's pain, because pain was part of his story. Waiting 38 years for healing is part of his story here. And he used it to display God's wonder and God's might. See, your hurts and your scars are not part of your identity. Uh, some people think, well, I, I did this thing, and therefore that's who I am. Uh, in our judgmental labeling kind of a society, we're so quick to take something that you did and attach that label on you. You are a blank. You are a blank. And then we start to feel that. Well, I am a blank because of what I had done. No. If, if you go to God and confess to him, and you have faith in him, then you are not labeled as that as your past mistakes, but rather you are labeled as a forgiven child of God. And that that is your identity. Who are you? I am a forgiven child of God. You should, at lunch today, introduce yourself in that way. Hi, I'm, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm a forgiven child of God. It may kind of freak people out, but that's true. 
That's who you are. That is your identity. Now, the thing is that we can look back at our past mistakes or our past hurts, whether we did it to ourselves or someone else did it to us, or circumstances, but we can look back on these things and we can recognize that they're part of our story. And, and God does not allow a hurt. God does not allow a story like this just to go untold. Instead, he wants you to use that story to talk about healing and to talk about how God is working in our lives in this way. So we need to be out. We need to be sharing the story with others because God, has, God is wanting you to use it. See, you may feel like the paralyzed man at certain points in your life. You may feel stuck. You may feel like you're without hope or just broken. Feel like that you've tried to change, but you just can't change. Like that sin is weighing you down in some way. But, but know this, that the reason that Jesus came was, was not for us. Uh, he did not come to create new laws, more things to do. But rather this, the, the Jesus came and he went to the cross for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins. So we don't have to feel the weight of our past mistakes or the weight of our sins weighing down on us and crushing us, but rather that we can experience this freedom. The Bible says that whoever sins is a slave to sin. And we can see that with these addictions or with these, these hurts in our lives. But, but notice that Jesus wants to break our chains and he wants to give us this freedom. He wants to give us uh, this ability to be forgiven and wiped away. See, through faith in him, we can be forgiven. Our, our past mistakes can be wiped clean and we can experience this healing. We can experience this forgiveness. So for any time that we've trusted our pools for healing rather than Jesus, know that, that Jesus is ready to forgive you. For any time that you've been selfish and turned away from God, know that Jesus is ready to forgive you. See, Jesus, he wants to heal us, and he wants to make us new. He wants to heal us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And let us pray. Jesus, indeed, you are, you are a great healer. And we recognize that all of us in this room here, that we've got some sort of pain in our life, that we've got uh, some sort of hurt. Uh, for, for some of us, we've worked really hard at burying it and shoving it down to where we don't notice it. But Lord, these things are real. These things are there. We know, Lord, that, that you want to heal us. And so as we leave this place and as we wrestle with this question of, of whether we really want to be healed, Lord, we pray that, that we allow you to heal us and for you to enter our lives and to forgive us of these sins and to, and to uh, bring about healing. And all this we pray. Amen.